Well, for better or for worse, yesterday was uh, rivalry football, a rivalry Saturday in college football. Uh, and so because of that, this morning, some of us have a bit of a spring in our step. Uh, some of us are a bit dejected. We're licking our wounds. Some of us gave up on the season several weeks ago. Um, and some of us don't get what all the fuss is about. But, but, but here's the thing. Um, and, and when I say this, trust me, I'm not trying to beat anybody up about cheering for your football team. I think it's great to go scream and holler and, and all that good stuff. But it was a little unsettling to me when I started reading this psalm in, in preparation for this week. Uh, that the first thing that came to my mind was, this is kind of what I do when I go to a football team, football game and, and root for my favorite team. Um, take the take the first. I'm going to read all this in a second, but take the first couple of verses and just think about this for a second. Take your think about get your favorite team in your mind, who you root for. And then change the psalm this way. Think about how easy it would be to do this and how we do this. Praise my team. I will give thanks to my team with my whole heart in the company of the fans in the stadium. Great are the works of my team studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty. Uh, And then verse 4, their wondrous works are remembered. Think of the way we remember those glory years. Uh, of way back think of the way we know our teams how we study them because we delight in them and we know who they're recruiting and whether they're going to sign and who the coaches are and what's going on with with all the things involved in our team and let's not just pick on sports people this morning but but think of the things there are that you delight in that you treasure something that you really enjoy reading up on Something that you really enjoy talking about. It's not work to talk about the things we love, is it? It just kind of naturally comes out of us. Why is it then that, that even for many of us who would call ourselves Christians, talking about spiritual matters can be so difficult? Uh, why is it uh, that... Or why doesn't the praise of God naturally roll off our tongues just in our everyday conversations? Unfortunately, I think that part of the reason is that we don't really delight in Him the way we delight in other things. At the end of the day, we can have sound theology. Uh, We can answer the questions right about how do you go to heaven. We can give the right answer to that question. But do we really delight in God? Do we treasure him the way we treasure the things of this world, whatever those things may be? Do we recognize his gifts, job and family and homes and all these things, as gifts that are given uh, in order that we might trace them back to the giver of the gifts and indeed worship him and take delight in him and not just in the gifts? Well, I was kind of, I was rolling this all around in my head the past week and I, and I started asking myself, well, as a pastor, how do I get my congregation to delight in God? What, what, what would I need to do? Or how do I get somebody who doesn't believe the Bible at all, how do I get that person to become someone who delights in the God of the Bible? I mean, heck, how do I get myself to actually delight 
in God. What would what could I do to get us to the place where we read when we read Psalm 111, it begins to seem more natural to talk about God and to give Him praise than it does our favorite football team or pastime or food or whatever it may be. What what would we need to do? Well, if I wanted to try to get you to like my favorite team, what would I do? Well, I might get you to watch a game with me. I might talk to you about their great history. Uh, But even better, I might take you to a game. I might take you to game day. I might take you to all the places around campus and all those great traditions that fans of the team enjoy. At the end of the day, I'd want to try to get you into that presence, into the presence of the team. Or what would what would Keith do if he wanted to get you to de- delight in a new instrument, a new musical instrument? He might show you a picture of it. All right, see, this is really cool. Uh, but that probably wouldn't quite do it for you. He might play it for you. He might teach you about it. Uh, ultimately, he would want to teach you to play it and get your hands on it. He would want you to. He would want to get you into the presence of the instrument and of the music coming from it, so that you could delight in it. What if I wanted to, to teach you to delight in how great my wife is? I, I might talk to you about how beautiful she is, but then Proverbs tells us that that beauty and charm can be deceptive and fleeting, and it says. A woman who fears the Lord is greatly to be praised. So I might talk to you about her character and her words and her works. But ultimately for you to delight in her, you'd have to actually get into her presence and see those for yourself. And so what I want to do today is simply to try to paint a picture for you of the beauty of God. Uh, to point you to his character and his words and his works. And we're not going to do this systematically. We're not going to do this with any real outline today as as we usually do. But we're simply going to meander through this psalm. Kind of like you might meander through the Grand Canyon as you were trying to soak in all its beauty. And and I'm going to seek to point us to the splendor and to the majesty of God. But, but, but here's the thing, and I want you to think about this as, as we go through this. If you really want to become someone who delights in God and not just a good Presbyterian who takes notes and writes down good God's character, God's word, God's works, these are wonderful. What time's the game? Come on. All right, if you want to be not just having all your theology right in your head, but someone who really delights in God from your heart, you've got to learn to begin to use this psalm. You've got to learn to begin to use all the scripture as a means, as a vehicle to entering into the very presence of God. Uh, Psalm 105, and I'm going to come back to this verse later. Psalm 105, 4 says, seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence Continually. Seek his presence continually. If you want to become somebody who delights in God, you've got to spend time in his presence. You've got to be with him, be near him. So that's what I want us to try to do this morning. Uh, Psalm 111. uh, This is God's word, beginning in verse 1. 
Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, as we take a few minutes just to simply um, meander through your word here, uh, would you indeed be with us, causing us to see and to sense uh, the splendor of your word and your works and your character? Would you help us to be a people who indeed delight in who you are? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to work through this. Uh, this is not the way we normally do this, but I'm just going to go about through this verse by verse. Uh, Praise the Lord, verse 1. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. The, the psalmist starts by telling us that his intention is to praise the Lord and to give thanks to the Lord with his whole heart. Is that your intention? Do you look at your life honestly? Would you say, yeah, that's, that's my intention as well. I want to be that kind of person. Somebody who is genuinely excited about uh, the work of God, the person of God, excited about what He has done in Christ. I really do think that's one of the signs of a converted heart. Not that you're walking around having a Jesus pep rally all day. But that there is this growing desire in you to praise God, to worship God. Uh, The psalmist points us as well to where he wants to praise God. He says he wants to praise God uh, in the company of the upright, in the congregation. You go to the New Testament, Hebrews 10, 25 tells us not to give up or not to neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. Um, That we need to come together and be together in the congregation worshiping God. I read a a post online from a a dejected Auburn fan yesterday. He was dejected before the game. Um, And and what he said was, he he had tickets to the game. He said, I gave the tickets away. You can try to sell them. He said, I gave the tickets away and I sat home alone and I tried to listen to it for a little while, and then I just went around the house and, and, and did my thing. And I could have told him not to try to listen to it. But um, why, why would he give tickets away to the biggest game of the year, to, to, to one of the greatest rivalries in college football? Why would he not even try to sell those? Why would he just give those away? Well, he did that because he was pretty sure his team was going to lose. 
he was pretty sure that that experience that he was looking for at the game wasn't going to be what he was hoping it was going to be. That worship, we could put it that way, experience wasn't going to be what he was hoping it was going to be. So he said, I'll just stay home. How many people, how many believers in Jesus Christ have been to a worship service, uh, have gathered with God's people, and they've had an experience that wasn't what they were hoping it was going to be? And so what they decide is, I'll just stay home. I can listen online. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll meet together with a small group this week. I'm, I might download a sermon this week. But that experience on Sunday morning was just not what I was looking for. And so I'm just not going to bother with it. Now, <clears throat> let me say just a couple of things about that. Um, you are not designed to do Christianity alone apart from the church. God has made you so that you need the encouragement of the body of Christ and the body of Christ needs you and, and the gifts you bring to the table as well. You're not meant to do Christianity at home alone by yourself. And secondly, this gathering together, as I think this psalm points out, is not just about what you get out of it. Uh, the, the Creator God, the, the God of all things, is calling and commanding even us to come into His presence and to bow before Him and to praise Him. Uh, He's not just suggesting it. He's saying, look, I I made you. I'm worthy of your praise. I'm worthy of your worship. This is what you're made to do. You're a worshiping being and you're made to worship me. And to top it all off, you'll actually experience blessing and joy in your life as you come and worship the one you're made to worship. Because knowing God and experiencing His presence is the greatest uh, treasure you can ever have. It's the greatest blessing you could ever experience. Look, we we talk about idolatry all the time, uh, that we all struggle with worshiping things and treasuring things other than God, that we erect these God substitutes in his place. But do you know what the, the greatest antidote to idolatry is? It's the worship of the one true God. As we learn to worship him and bow before him uh, instead of our idols. Is, is the worship of God a priority in your life? Uh, verse 2. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Those words of verse 2 are actually inscribed over the main entrance of the Cavendish Laboratory, which is the home of the Department of Physics uh, at Cambridge University in England. Psalm 111, verse 2, over the archways, you go in to this laboratory. And you know, that actually makes complete sense. You know, today we tend to pit religion and science against each other. But the, psalm, the psalmist actually invites us here to do science, uh, to study biology and geology and chemistry and physics and all this thing, to study the works of the, of, of the God who made it all. Because they are His works. Uh, in, in fact, 
the work of God in creation is the very foundation of science, of being able to do science. Uh, if, if this universe is the creation of a personal God who made all things, then we can study it, we can learn about it, we can, we can learn the order of it. But if, if that's not true, if, if atheistic evolution is true, then there's no such thing as natural laws. There's really no such thing as order. Everything is just random chance. And if there's no real order in the universe because everything is just has randomly happening, happening, there's no foundation to science. There's no foundation to the science that many would try to use to disprove the very God of science. Uh, verse 2 invites us to study the works of God in creation and to praise Him for them, and to study His work in redemption as well, but we'll come back to that in a minute. Look at verse 3. Full of splendor and majesty is His work, and His righteousness endures forever. His righteousness endures forever. God always acts in accordance with His character. His actions always match up with who He is. That's not always true. For us, is it? I mean, we might kind of get it together for a little while, but then you know, you give us enough time, and 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 we'll fall flat on our face again. Not God. He doesn't have to ask forgiveness. He doesn't have to say my bad. Uh, we don't have to worry that fifty years from now God is going to start acting unjustly. We don't have to to worry that that he'll change his mind about the cross. Well, yeah, that was good until 2012. That's, that's the deadline on that. Uh, we don't have to worry about that. Jesus has satisfied the requirements of divine justice. And that was true yesterday, and it's true today, and it'll be true a million years from now, because God's righteousness endures forever. Uh, verse 4 He has caused His wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. God makes sure that we remember His works. That we remember His wonderful works. That's one reason He gives us the Lord's Day. Uh, That's one reason He gives us His Word. That's one reason He gives us uh, the Lord's Supper, which we'll celebrate in a few minutes. Because we need to remember... His wondrous works. How many times has God done something great in your life where you say, man, God really God really showed up there. And you're thankful for that and you praise Him for that. And then within a matter of weeks often, God, where are you? And we're, we're moaning and complaining. Are, are you really going to come through for me? Have you abandoned me? Uh, we are uh, definitely, what have you done for me lately? Uh, kind of people. And we forget what God does for us every day in sustaining us. We forget what God has done for us in Christ. We forget that in Christ our sins really are forgiven. And so God is gracious and merciful in providing us with ways to remember His words. Because that's who He is. He is gracious and He is merciful. Uh, is the God that you worship, 
Is the thing that you treasure, when you think about your idols, is that thing, whatever it is, or that person, is it gracious and merciful? Is it gracious and merciful? Is, you know, making a name for yourself, being popular, having lots of money, is that God gracious and merciful to you? Would that God give up anything for you? Would that God give up His Son for you? That's the grace and mercy of the God of the Bible, that when we could not meet the demands of His law, He met them for us in Christ. He is gracious and merciful to us. And He calls us not to work for that forgiveness, but to simply grab hold of Christ by faith. Verse 5, he provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. Uh, This is probably a a reference to God providing food for his people as they were wandering in the wilderness in the Old Testament. Uh, But it points us to his continual provision of daily bread for us. Do you ever stop and just kind of think about that? Do you stop and think about the way that God has provided for you on a daily basis. Have you ever stopped and written those things down? And these, are, these are some of the ways that God has provided. Let me, let me encourage you to do that. To actually keep a record of the way you've seen God provide for you so that you can go back when you're starting to say, ah, is He going to show up this time? You can go back and see how God has provided for you. We serve a God who is mindful of our physical needs. Uh, Verse 5 also tells us that God doesn't forget His covenant. He doesn't forget His covenant. I remember a pastor one time, he was addressing a group of pastors, and he was uh, talking about sources of temptation uh, in our lives. And he admitted the fact, and he had had told his wife this beforehand, that there were times when he was working on a college campus, and he said there were times when he was in the presence of beautiful women when he would actually take his wedding ring off. And nothing he ever acted on anything out of that, but in that moment, he wanted to be seen as available, maybe flirtatious even. Um, He wanted to forget his covenant. And don't we all do that from time to time? We want to forget the covenants we have made. We want to forget the promises that we have made. If even, if even just for a minute, so that we can do what we want to do, the God we serve doesn't forget His promises. He doesn't forget His covenant. He doesn't want to forget His promises or His covenant. He delights in keeping them. He doesn't forget His promise to bless the world through Abraham. He doesn't forget His promise to be our God and the God of our children after us. He doesn't forget his promise to remove our sins uh, away from us as far as the east is from the west. He delights in remembering and keeping his promises to us. Uh, Verse 6, he has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. God's, God's works are powerful his people in the Old Testament saw that as, they, as he gave them the land, the promised land of Canaan. Again, where have you seen God work powerfully in your life? Are you remembering it? Have you, have you told your children about it? 
the way God has worked in your in your life. Do you ever put yourself in a position where if God doesn't work powerfully, you'll fail miserably? Where you don't have your own human safety net? Do you believe in the powerful working of God enough to actually rely on Him? Do you trust Him for your children? Do you trust Him? Do you trust Him with your money? Do you trust Him at work? Are you able to actually turn off your cell phone and text and email and say, you know what, it's going to keep going without me. The world's not running because, because I'm here. It doesn't rely on my power. Do our actions demonstrate that we're relying on the power of God? Are we trying to finagle everything and hold everything together with our own power? Verse 7 and 8, The works of His hands are faithful and just. All His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. God's words are trustworthy. God's words are trustworthy. Trustworthy. Uh, he says that our lives will go better if we listen to His law and obey His law. His law is about how we spend our money, about how we spend our time, about whether we listen to our parents, about whether we honor Him with our bodies. God says there is blessing attached to keeping His commandments. Do you trust Him when He says these things? Do you seek to perform them uh, with faithfulness and uprightness? His law is trustworthy. And His gospel is trustworthy. Uh, verse 9, He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can trust that. Since we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through Jesus Christ. You can trust that. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. You can trust that. God's words are trustworthy. Holy and awesome is His name. God is a, is a holy God who must punish sin. Uh, he has to do that. He can't say, oh, I'll never mind, it's alright. That would go against His very character. If He were to walk into the sanctuary this morning, we would all fall down as, as dead people before Him. We would have an, an Isaiah 6 kind of experience where we would say, Woe is me, for we are men and women of unclean lips, and we live among a people of unclean lips. And who are we to be in the very presence of God? And yet God is merciful and gracious. And in the cross, He makes a way for us to come in to His very presence. At the cross, justice and mercy meet. At the cross, holiness and grace meet. In the cross, Jesus receives punishment for my sin and opens the very doorway to heaven. Well, where does our meandering tour here of the, the character and works and words of God leave us? Verse 10, 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. It should lead us back to praise Him. It should lead us to fear Him. And that's more in the Bible than just being scared of God. Uh, Ligon Duncan defined the fear of the Lord this way. It's reverence joined to a love and adoration and affection for God that causes us to delight in God and tremble before Him. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, the psalmist says, that is the beginning of wisdom. Understanding who God is, knowing God is, knowing who God is is the beginning of a wise, well-lived life. So if you took an honest look at your life this afternoon and, and just saw disorder, you saw things that were just out of whack, uh, then, then, then perhaps, let me suggest what you should do, instead of blaming your circumstances or blaming someone else or blaming the world, maybe what's missing there is a genuine fear of the Lord that leads you to the light in Him. Maybe what's missing is a genuine knowledge of God that leads you to praise Him and to serve Him and to seek His presence continually. See, at at the end of the day, maybe, just maybe, the problems in my life are worship problems. We can point to all these things, well, this is wrong, this is wrong. Maybe at the end of the day, the real source of the disorder is a disordered heart that seeks to worship things of the creation instead of worshiping the Creator. Let me give you, as we wrap this up, just sort of two practical things to do with this. Okay? Uh, Here's number one. Susan's family had this tradition when she was growing up on Christmas Eve of they would always... Her dad would grill steaks, and they'd have homemade mashed potatoes and wine, and we'd all sit at the table. They'd all sit at the table, and they would each go around, and they'd light a candle. Uh, And as they lit a candle, you would also, and the kids would have to do this as well, you'd have to give thanks for something. You'd have to pray before everybody, thank God for something uh, in your life, something that you were thankful for. And we kind of, when we got married, we imported that tradition into our own family. Now, I don't bring that up to, to, to brag about it anyway. I wasn't really that crazy about it first. Um, you know, her, she's got a big crying family, and they get all <laughs> emotional, and I'm, we're very stoked, no emotion, and so what is going on? These people are crying, it's Christmas, what are we doing? Um, but, but, but are there traditions in, in your life, in the life of your family, are there these signposts that point you and your family to God? That encourage you to be thankful? That encourage you to, to seek Him? What are those things? And then secondly, I just would ask you to think about seriously, what do you really ponder? What do you really, what do you really ponder? Uh, verse 2, Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. The NIV says, pondered by all who delight in them. You know, I ponder my fantasy football lineup. I could spend way too much time trying to decide which kicker to start. Um, 
you know, I can ponder the stock market. Do I sell now? Do I, do I hold on later? Do you ever ponder your spouse, your husband or your wife, and, and how to love them or, or, or serve them better? Do you ever ponder them, study them because you delight in them? Do you ever study God and ponder Him and His works and His character and His ways and seek to simply delight in who He is? Uh, let me encourage you to take, go home and, and look up Psalm 105, verse 4. We mentioned it earlier. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. And take that and, and just write it down on a, a 3 by 5 card or put it in your phone and just look at that every morning. Maybe look at that at lunch. And, and turn that into a prayer to God and ask God to change you into a person who loves to delight in Him. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, um, help us to see you for who you really are. Father, help us to get our, our eyes off of ourselves and what we want and what we're upset about or what we need. Help us to, to trace the broken places in our lives, perhaps back to a worship disorder. Help us to see the way we find it much easier to delight in the creation and not in the creator. Cause us to be thankful. Thankful not just for the gifts you give us, but, but for the giver of the gifts. Help us, Father. Help us to delight in you and your character and your words and in your works. Help us to be a people who indeed Seek your strength and seek your presence continually. And Father, as we seek you, may uh, you be found by us. Would you fill us with your spirit? Would you cause us to know that you indeed are a God who is with us? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.